This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 80 of the Equalizer podcast. I'm Dan Lawletta with Chelsea Bush. The NWSL regular season is over. Chelsea, it seems like just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how long and boring the offseason was, wasn't it? I don't know. It, it feels like a, a little bit longer of a season for me, in my opinion. Uh, maybe it's because of the World Cup, but April, March or April seems very, very long ago to me. Well, certainly a lot happened. Here's what happened on the final day on Saturday Orlando got a late goal and drew Rain FC 2-2, so that locked in the playoff matchups with the Rain at that point unable to jump up to the third seed. They'll be at North Carolina this coming Sunday, and that allowed the Thorns to be the number three seed. They'll be in Chicago. They have not lost to the Red Stars, as we have said many times on this podcast, since 2013. We already knew who the four playoff teams were. Thorns then played a very sleepy, scoreless draw with the Washington Spirit. Also, the North Carolina Courage actually broke last year's goal-scoring record with a 3-2 win over Sky Blue FC, but Domi Richardson came in, got the last goal of the season for Sky Blue in that one, and Utah beat Houston 2-1, goals from Press and Rodriguez, but too little too late for the Royals. And afterwards, Laura Harvey said she will not be the next head coach of the women's national team, then apparently left her media availability, came back in 30 minutes later, I guess after some of the players had spoken and said it was her intention to be back with the Royals. So, I don't know, you think she she left and had a little impromptu meeting with ownership and then came back and said she was coming back next season? That's a bit of a strange maybe, move. Yeah, maybe she was like, uh, you know, I talked about next year and maybe didn't make necessarily make it clear. I don't know. That, that was a little bit of a weird one, but at least she came back. Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to hear that she'll be coming back. Um, I think her reputation might need a little repair work after this season, but I, I, I like her in the league. I think she's good for the league. Um, and then just real quick before we get into NWSL, if she's out, I mean, I, I think everyone just assumes that leaves Vlatko Landonovsky, right, as the next coach, unless there's somebody out there we're not thinking of or we don't know as a candidate. Yeah, I mean, if it's not Vlatko, it's some sort of dark horse that came out of nowhere because, you know, he's repeatedly been on everyone's, lists it seems to be the the front runner yeah I, I can't imagine at this point not being black coat i think he'll just we'll just have to wait until the end of his you know time with the rain is actually over all right well um we'll get into a little bit of what happened on the weekend i know you didn't get to see much i was on the call so um didn't get to see the two games that were you know opposite my games but real quick what are your first initial thoughts on the semifinal matchups, and we'll do much more on this. We'll have some preview stuff coming out before they play on Sunday, but what are your initial thoughts? I mean, honestly, I was a little bit disappointed uh, that we're not going to see Portland and um, North Carolina semifinal. One, because it just brings back memories of that insane 
Portland Western New York semifinal, and two because this also sets us up for the potential for a Portland um, Portland North Carolina final again, which I've been very very outspoken about the fact that I don't want to see that again. I'd like to see it change up a little bit. Um, although I, looking at Portland over the last couple months, I I don't if they make the finals, they either have to pull something out or something has to go very very wrong for the other team. Um, but you know, I think it'd be a pretty cool narrative if, if the first time Chicago beats Portland in what six years yep. is at in the semifinals for Chicago going to go to the final first time ever. I think that would be very cool. I also think that that is something that can very very much get in your head, and I think that they've got and also the fact that they Chicago repeatedly makes the semifinals and hasn't made that step yet. I think that's something they have to be very very careful not to to let become sort of a thing that hangs over them. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I don't I don't think they'll admit that, but I I think it's true. Yeah, and then um, you know, for for the rain, I I I think they're going to have to pull out a very good game to beat North Carolina, especially in North Carolina. But I think if anyone could do that, it's Latko, especially if he's about to leave. I think he'd love to go out <laughs> and finally bring a championship to that club, or at least get them back in into the final. Um, and for North Carolina, I think it's, it's finishing. It's always a thing for them. You know, they they've been very good about being able to turn that on when they need to, but. It has been an ongoing issue for them year after year, um, keeping keeping everyone healthy, and then I think probably in that that particular match, winning the midfield. I think if you're Paul Riley, the last thing you want to see is an overmatched Flacco team with one shot to do something to beat you. Yeah, I mean tactically, it's it's I think probably the more interesting of the two matchups for me because I think that. Paul Riley, I think we could probably predict with maybe one, you know, one error what his starting lineup is going to be. And I think we'd probably say the same for Vlatko, but out of the two, I think that Vlatko is much more the type who's going to look at this game very carefully, look at all the matches they played against him, and maybe come out with, pull out something from his back pocket, sort of like uh, Jim Gabbard did back in 2016 when he came out with the three backs for Washington that, that very, very nearly did the trick. You know, if that... If, if Williams, Lynn Williams doesn't equalize that game, I think that's one of the great coaching moves in the history of this league because they oh, had I never done was, it before, and it, it basically worked. It, I think it worked very well. I think, like I said, it, it took some – I think they controlled that match. It took two, two you know, mistakes basically for um, West New York to get back in. It'd be, I think if they, if they, they win that, if they don't let the equalizer go down, yeah, he's, he's probably coach of the year at that point. I think that was a – a brilliant move. And you know, I mean, he's talking about like one moment that changes legacies because now I think people look at Gabar and I think most current fans probably forgot or don't realize that he did win a championship in double uh, the USA. But I think he's now looked at as a guy who the game passed by, but had he won that title, maybe, maybe that narrative is completely different at this point. And let's remember four minutes of stoppage time in the second extra time. I've never seen that before or since without some sort of major and, uh, incident or injury. Four controversial minutes, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a very long four minutes. Doesn't mean you don't have to defend for the four minutes, but... True, yeah. And on a, you know, on a set piece, which they are back then and still true, known to be very dangerous on a long throw-in, and there you go. The other thing about that game is Megan Oyster, who ironically enough now plays for the Reign... Megan Oyster had been kind of oddly benched in the second half of that season and then got thrown back in as one of those three center backs and had one of her best games, I think, of her life in that final. 
Nah, and yeah, she's also we, hurt now. Yeah, we could probably have a whole podcast about that final because I think there's a lot of things that were fascinating about it. But yeah, uh, she was very good. I mean, everyone on that team. I, I thought Crystal Dunn should have been the MVP of that game. But again, they lost. So. Well, I think she was right up until that ninety one hundred and twenty fourth minute or whatever it was. Well, she was until the pen. Yeah, the penalty yeah. shootout that kind of. But still, if you look at over the hundred twenty minutes, she was easily the best player. Oh, no doubt about it. And I remember her and Hinkle were battling, and we were sitting kind of. I think you were. Maybe you weren't sitting near me, but I was kind of in a corner, and right down below me in the first half was Dunn against Hinkle, and that matchup was outstanding. The one-on-one battle. Yeah, I was not sitting. I, I was not sitting there. You had a different vantage point in that game, but yeah, that was. Yeah, well, we could probably. I guess we could probably talk about that. Yeah, and you know what else in that game? The Spirit missed three PKs, and it was the three last remaining original Spirit players: Huster, Krieger, and Matheson. Oh, three awful PKs too. Yeah, they should have been exactly the same spot if I remember correctly. Yeah, that was Serena D'Angelo, um, you know, pre, uh, for, uh, pre, whatever the, what's the, I don't know, what's the opposite of foreshadowing? Um, but before Alyssa Nair and the big time stop of the week, Steph Houghton PK, we had, uh, D'Angelo backdoored the MVP award. And again, you save a PK, you save a PK, especially in a final, but they were pretty easy PKs for her to stop. Yeah, but I mean, saving three and, and one, shootout is pretty pretty astonishing, and if even I re- they were very poorly taken. And if I recall, she made a pretty bad mistake on one of the done goals in that game. So how's this for being off track on the podcast so far? <laughs> um, all right, it happens. We're, <laughs> we're going to talk about the non-playoff teams, uh, but before that, a couple of things. First of all, Pew went down toward the end of the first half. Andy Sullivan was trying to feed her the ball. Would have been a nice pass, too. And first it looked like maybe Pew stepped on the ball, but then the replay showed that she kind of didn't, and she went down, and she got up, and she was not putting any weight on that right ankle. For whatever reason, the cameras didn't show her coming off the field, but even though it was like the 45th minute, they immediately went to the bench, although they didn't get another whistle, so the substitute actually was at halftime, but Legarzo was standing there by the fourth official. And that's usually a pretty bad sign for a player when you get hurt right at the stroke of halftime and they take you off. Um, but you know what? Pew and Lavelle for the spirit, right? You know, if they're ever going to be any, if they're ever going to be any good together, they've got to actually be on the field together. Lavelle didn't play for an excused absence. So not injury related, but boy, those two just cannot stay healthy for extended periods of time. And now we're all, you know, people are already starting to wonder, like, can the new coach just give her a break and not force her back in, for the November games, if indeed she's even healthy to go by then. But that's a tough way for her NWSL season to end. Yeah, I, I think if the Spirit are, are going to be going to get to that next level, they're going to have to get those two healthy and get more out of them on a, a consistent basis. Um, yeah, it's 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 just one thing after another, isn't it? And it's just it's it's weird stuff like that. Like you take a wrong step. It's not something that they're doing wrong. Right. You know, um, it's just things that happen. And, you know, you, you've seen players throughout the history of soccer or any of the sport who just, they just can't stay healthy. It's just how they're made. They're, you know, they just get some a combination of really bad luck and, and maybe not, you know, 
built the right way and a professional athlete needs to be built and these things happen and it's you know it's really unfortunate um to see careers get impacted like negatively and cut short in the way they do and the good thing about those two is first of all they've already won a world cup so check that off Um, and then also but they're also young like it's something that they can hopefully put behind them yeah you'd like to see you know sam kerr if you remember when she first came in the league was kind of injury prone and then all of a sudden, you know, one of the things that made her start to get really good was the fact that she was actually able to stay on the field. I mean, she was always really good, but these numbers that she's put up are because she's actually playing now, whereas the first three years or four, she was, you know, she would play, and then there'd be an ankle or a foot or whatever. So well, she, yeah, she it, figured it out. It's funny because I remember having a discussion with you about – you know, who was going to be the golden boot. I don't remember which year it was. And, and it, you and I both said, I, I think at the same time, I was like, if Sam Kerr can stay healthy, yeah. I want to see what she can do for a full season. I think that was, I guess, that was the season before her last year in, at Sky Blue when she finally just unleashed. Um, and, and how, and, you know, you, you look, you read her interviews now, and she talks about how close she was to retiring at that point, which is kind of scary to think about, you know, that we couldn't have, you know, maybe one more injury, maybe we may not have gotten in any of this. And now she's missed durability. She plays every game she's available for. She goes all over the place to play for Australia. Then she goes and plays in the Australian League, comes right back in. She never, you never ever hear that, well, she got in Thursday, but she's tired. She's out there all the time. Yeah, which I think is, is something also that, you know, we praise a lot and it should be praised, but I think there's also a, a time when you have to listen to her body. And listen oh, to for she's sure. She's very young. And, and I was actually having a discussion with a coworker the other day about recovery time for you know, other things as you get older, but it's, she's very young and her body, she has an ability to bounce back. And I think as long as she continues to listen to her body and to understand when it, she needs to take a rest. Um, Cause I think sometimes we, we praise them for coming back, but maybe the smarter thing to do is to, to say, you know what, I, I do need to, to recover oh, yeah. from these games or this travel or whatever. For sure. It'd be nice if the national team would listen to the bodies a little bit more, but that's a whole other podcast that we could do. Um, one other thing before the break, I don't know if you saw the Claire Emsley scenario. She got hit by what looked like an alley long elbow, maybe. It was a, it was not really seen on the broadcast and the replay just, they were kind of zooming off the screen as the replay came through and she was down for a while and they came out and you could totally tell that they were doing the thing with the fingers. So it was like an initial concussion protocol. Got up, went off. By the time the game action resumed, she was back noticeably less visible because I thought she really played well before that, noticeably less noticeable, if that makes any sense. And then all of a sudden she takes a seat on the ground and she's not in good shape. And then she gets up, walks directly to the locker room. Meanwhile, they're running Taylor Twelman commercials to talk about, you know, concussion safety. And there's these live reads at halftime of all the games on, you know, this big concussion safety movement. And, uh, you know, we've said it before, going way back to the second week ever in the league when Abby Wambach got a concussion and nobody seemed to know it. If you're going to make a big deal that you are con- that you are a concussion safety league, then you can not continue to let these players stay on the field if they may be concussed. Now, I don't think Emsley made it worse by staying out there, but it's just a really, really bad look. And I don't know that she has a concussion because I'm not sure that's been diagnosed but it is a terrible look when that happens. Yeah, I mean, I guess, first of all, I guess we'll find out if it's an alley-long elbow uh, if we get an email from the, the disco here. 
Yeah, it's a good, it's a good so. call. Um, more seriously, though, yeah, I think that, and I don't know that necessarily this is an NWSL program pro, problem or a soccer problem or maybe just sports in general. But oh, Kelly O'Hara World Cup final, so it's not an NWSL only yeah, problem. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think that there's there's overwhelming um, information about the effects of concussion, about TBIs, and you know, you've, you've got players who are like, I'm going to donate my brain to science when I die so that they can find out more. Like, there, there's enough to know that we have to take this very, very seriously. And there's a reason that youth soccer is not allowed to do any sort of headers till they get older. And, um, frankly, that's still terrifying because I have enough people to play soccer. But, yeah, I, there, there's got to be more than let me go onto the field for five seconds and flash my fingers at you and say if you're okay or not. And maybe, you know, maybe you need to, this sounds really bad, but maybe you need to incentivize the coaches to take them off. Maybe you allow, um, a, a, you know, 10 or 15 minute sub so they can more thoroughly evaluate. Or maybe you just say, hey, if there's a suspected concussion that you've got to go off and that's just your game. And I don't know what the answer is, but I think that they're, they've got to, they've got to draw the line. It's got to be a very, very cut and clear rule about when someone has to go off. And I think that Above all, that the the doctor's word needs to be the law, not the player. I don't care what they say if they're okay, because we know they don't always realize what's going on. You know, they don't always know that they have a concussion. Um, and obviously, they want to play. No one can blame us for that. I can't. It can't be the coaches. It can't be anyone but the doctor who says no. You you've got to come out. And I think that that just has to be a, a very much very more strict rule, um, on- rather than just the referee seeing a head's been knocked out, blowing the whistle and getting a trainer to come on for five seconds. Well, and I've never had a concussion, but I've sprained an ankle, and you might think you're okay for ten minutes, and then a little while later, you're like, whoa, this is not okay. So I'm sure the same thing can happen with a concussion. And your initial reaction, athlete or not, is to say you're okay, right? If you fall, your initial reaction is, I'm fine. And then... Yeah, and then comes out of ten. And, uh, you know, the NFL, and I don't want to... Uh, praise the NFL too much for how it handles player safety, but they've moved to independent doctors. So it's not even the team doctor. So, you know, theoretically, there's no uh, there's no dog in the fight, so to speak, for the doctor who makes a decision about concussions. That might be expensive, but, you know, if you're really serious about it and you're building as a league, maybe that's something that you need if there's enough instances where, where you think it might be necessary. But it was not a good look with Emsley. By the way, and uh, we're going to talk non-playoff teams on the other side of this break. Um, Claire Emsley, is, if she comes back with the pride, I think she's a major part of, of the future there in Orlando. Let's take that break. We'll come back. We'll uh, figure out what happened to the five teams that did not qualify for the NWSL playoffs. This is the Equalizer Podcast. Segment two of episode 80, the Equalizer podcast with Chelsea. I'm Dan. With a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast, the better ratings and better reviews that you give us, the more great content we can bring to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. And Chelsea, it's time to rate and review the five teams that did not make the NWSL playoffs. And since the same teams all made the playoffs, that means all these teams are on at least two-year runs of not making the playoffs. And, I, you know, honestly, I think there's enough you can do with your roster that two years, I mean, you know, not that it's impossible to go two years without making the playoffs, but um, I think any plan that you have should be two, three years max. But I'd start at the bottom with Orlando, and I, I know you didn't get to see a lot of their Saturday game. I thought they looked really good, but 
they finish last. They've got the number one pick unless there's expansion to actually have that pick. There's a ton of questions on this team. I don't even know where to begin, but probably just figure out with your veteran players, are they all in or are you moving them out? And if you're moving them out, I mean, maximize what you can get for them. They and, don't have a whole – they may have the number one draft pick, but I don't think they have a whole lot. And do they have value, right? I mean, how much value does Ashlyn Harris have if you decide you want to move her? I think she'd, she'd be done if you tried to move her from Orlando. I think that you look more at Alex Morgan. I think she's someone you could still get something for from some teams. Um, and, and probably wouldn't object too strongly to being traded if it was to the right place. I think that the problem there is matching up the right place and then the team that wants her. Um, yeah, they, they need – I just I, from top to bottom, they need to add players. They need to add a center back, and frankly, that's that's what I would do with the, that number one draft pick if it were me. Um, they need to strengthen their spine. They need players that can, can finish um, – you, know, you talked about Claire Emsley. I agree. I think she's someone that you build around, uh, but she can't do it herself. And you, I think you look really harshly at Rachel Hill um, because she's someone I've I've thought a lot of for since the moment she came on. I, I think she, she's she's a good player, but she's just never been quite unlocked at Orlando. So I think Skinner needs to look very carefully because I think the teams would take her, and I think he needs to ask serious questions about whether or not she can score more goals than she has been. I also think this will be the last year you can probably trade her for anything substantial. Yeah, I, I think that her reputation has probably kind of gone downhill. I mean, fortunately, she still seems to be doing very good in the W League, so I think that there's so there's something there, and she was very good in college. There, there's something there to be unlocked. I think she may not be a star, but I think she's someone who can, can be called upon to produce a certain amount of goals for you every year, and I don't think she's done that yet. Now, take politics and everything else out of the equation. Do you want to bring Morgan Harris Krieger back, Marta? Mm, I think I think I would take Marta and Harris and Krieger. I I don't think I would take Morgan, to be honest. I would say Marta and Krieger. And that's um, all. Uh, can we add a caveat? You've got to play Krieger at right back. That's fair. Stop the center back. And I, I get that it was, it was sort of their, their center backs were kind of dropping like flies. Um, but I think you've, you've got to play her at right back. I think that that's fair. I think Ashlyn Harris is okay if you have a good team around her. But I also think you need to find out who your next goalkeeper is going to be, whether you keep her or not. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's your next number one is going to be Haley Kottmeier. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm in the minority. I think we're in the minority on that. I do. I, I think she's a great backup keeper, but we we saw her at Seattle when she was given the chance to be the number one. It just wasn't quite reliable enough. So yeah, even if if Harris stays, you know, you're only going to get a X amount of years, you know, out of her. Not not a whole lot. She's definitely nearing the end, and I think you need to look long term and really think who is. You've got great young keepers floating around. Grab one as as your second or third keeper and start developing them. And then the next level down players you've got is Weatherholt, Van Egmond, and Kennedy. I thought were all terrible this season based on what they should have been or could have been. And I think you yeah. got to look at that area too. Yeah, Van Egmond I just hasn't been good for Orlando at all, ever. 
in what two years? Um, Whether Holfeld looks like a player who could be like a Nexus McCall's or Boney type. Yeah, I think Weatherholt's one that you keep. I think she's she's done, she's been very good in the past. I thought she was one of their best players last year. Um, so I think she's had a little bit of injury this year, and then the whole team has, has just struggled. I think that she's someone that you can keep, and if you can get her back to where she has been previously, that's someone you can build around. Kennedy is, is again, she's like Krieger. I think you have to play her in midfield. I like, in the past, the Kennedy and Weatherholt sort of dual pivot. I think that's something that, if you're getting consistently – good out of, out of both players that is that's a, a fairly strong pairing in the midfield um but yeah don't play kennedy a center back yeah she got beat by jody taylor on a goal saturday night that was just horrible you know you know kudos to taylor for making the goal happen but kennedy was positioned well enough that there's no way taylor should have gotten the space to get the shot off that she did all right sky blue fc um you know they made a lot of you know, when you win one game, it's hard not to make strides, but they also made strides off the field, and it's palpable when you're around the team now that things are a little bit better. That said, they don't have a venue for next season. Um, they don't have season tickets on sale for next season, and I still think their roster was terribly built in terms of line for line. I think they have a, some okay players, and I actually think they drafted well the last couple of years. Well, in some regard, I mean, Dorsey is really good. Paige Monahan was good. I thought Julie James Doyle was pretty good. Obviously, the other two first-round picks in 18 are gone. The two first-round picks from last year are gone. But I think they've got some decent young players. Carly Lloyd had a real good run after the World Cup, kind of quietly. May have been one of the top two or three national team players in the league after the World Cup. You know, they got the second and third pick. Maybe they've got something. They need a full-time coach. Um, You know, I don't know. But I think they've... Got some things to build around here. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think all the players that you mentioned are very strong. They've also obviously got a great keeper. Um, I think they lose something that when she's gone, so maybe try and see, grab maybe a stronger second keeper because um, she is probably going to be gone for the Olympics. I think you use one of those high draft picks to get an attacking midfielder. I think that they need to create more. We saw, I think, a lot of long balls from them this season. Um, now it's been forever with them. Remember who who was the, who did they bring in? Um, who was supposed to be the answer? And and she now I think she went to France. She played for Georgetown. Who am I thinking of here? A couple of years ago, she was supposed. To, I'm going to look. I'll look this up while we uh, talk. But yes, Definitely exactly. Close. And she was supposed to be the you know the attacking midfielder who could make the final pass that they never had. And before that, it was Katie Friels for a little bit, but she was kind of spotty on and off in terms of her form. Yeah, I think that's something that they, they really they really need to work on. And maybe um, you know, they've got Lloyd, who's got her own skill set. They've got some wide players. I think you, you need maybe a, another number nine type, someone who can really get behind and, and outrun defenses because that's not really Lloyd's strong suit. Um, she can do that, but she just doesn't really have the speed of, of someone that I'm thinking of. So when – you do need to go for those long balls when you are, you know, late in game. You need to pull something out. You've got someone who can, maybe someone who can come off the bench and really break those lines. And they need them. Yeah. Okay, in defense, they, they just they need defenders all over. Yeah, they do. They switched back last night, and I didn't see it, but they put Didasco back at outside back and moved Dorsey up, which I never understood why they made that switch to begin with. You know, I I was a Skrowski apostle for a long time that she was playing out of position 
but I think she's probably a backup at best on a good back line at this point. So, yeah, you're right. They do definitely need defenders. They need to get the coaching hire right. They've missed on their last two head coaches, and, you know, they're obviously, you know, they can say whatever they want. They're not getting a big-time coach in there, but they've got to get, you know, they've got to find their Richie Burke or their Vlatko Andonovsky, someone who can come in as an unknown and, and start to turn things around. Yeah, you know, they probably play Dorset outside back, so she'd get a look at them from the national team. Yeah. <laughs> it's got outside back experience now. That, that's the spot to go in, right? Right back. Well, maybe that's going to change. Maybe that was a Jill thing. Yeah, you never you never know. You never know. Uh, how about the dash? Typical dash season, right? <laughs> it really is. Um, we've talked about center backs. Obviously, they need to do some work there. I think they need to, to lock down a right back. They had quite a few, kind of a rotating cast. Ended up with Haley Hansen, who I think is much better as a defensive midfielder. Um, I like Hansen a lot, but put her back in midfield. Um, and and they have players who can score goals. Their finishing was atrocious. But they don't. Well, they have players who should and who they, have in the past. Definitely. So you ask some, some really serious questions of those players. I think that Obviously, I think Kaleo High's not going anywhere, um, but I think whether it's not coming back for the ACL or maybe it's the fact that the, the league has kind of surpassed her, I think that she's probably hit her ceiling as, as far as production. Um, so you, you set her up to be someone who maybe can provide. And then you, you, but you, yeah, you, Rachel Daly did not score enough goals. Ojai did not score enough goals. Sophia Huerta did not score enough goals. They, and yeah, they, they lost Michelle Prince and Veronica Lasko were probably good for a couple goals apiece. Um, but I, I think they, they've got some good draft picks. I think that Ellie Prysock was very good. And I think that Cece Kaiser was very good. So you have some, some bench there, but you, you've got to ask serious, serious questions of, of your strikers. And, and those are still players who are probably worth something. So it may be, I think maybe you have to make a very, very hard decision and see what you can you can do there. Because I look at the roster and it's just it amazes me that they don't that they haven't won more games. Not just this season. It's been year after year where maybe they're not the they don't have the best roster in the league, but they have better than the seventh best roster in the league, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But this is as you said, it's been the same same shit different year. You know? No matter who's on that roster or who's in the coaching spot. Uh, the Royals, who finished sixth, we briefly touched on Harvey, saying she'll be back. Uh, I thought a month ago when I wrote glowing things about them in my lowdown, I thought Kristen Press was trending to be the MVP of the league. And then they went away, and she went away. And, uh, again, this is somewhat dash. Like, why isn't this team winning more games? And I don't really know the answer to the question, you know, Rodriguez isn't getting any younger. Salabrun isn't getting any younger. Barnhart isn't getting any younger. So, you know, this is a team with a window here, and they can't even get in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, this just seems so – I really thought they had it earlier this year. Like, I wrote some very glowing things about how they turned a corner, and then they, they kept going and turned another corner. So thanks for making us look bad, guys. Um, <laughs> but I think you – yeah, they did have quite a few injuries that, that hurt them. I think you really want to maybe look at outside backs. Their outside backs were fine, but not very attack-minded. And they lost Kayla O'Hara, who's probably the, the most attack-minded fullback on the team. And and she's also not getting any younger or apparently any healthier. So 
I think they need some wits, and I think that some attack-minded outside backs could help that. Um, I think that, listen, Desiree Scott's fine, but it wouldn't be a bad thing to look for another defensive midfielder. And maybe maybe another striker. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that they're, they're finishing it this year. I think I want to say maybe it's actually another midfielder like Vero who can create more chances. But I think if you do give them chances, they're going to put enough away. Um, but I don't think just, they're just still not creating as much as a team on paper that they should be. And I think it's time to acknowledge that Becky Sauerbrunn, while still really good, that the Becky Sauerbrunn never make a mistake uh, era is over. And she's still, again, she's still I mean, really good, but she, you know, she's not infallible in the back anymore. Yeah, I think that was over like two years ago, but. I thought last year she bounced back and had her best year in a while. So maybe it was over three years ago and then she <laughs> just had a blip. And this year, I mean, her World Cup was, by her standards, was awful. And I don't know that she ever got back to full good form when she got back. She also usually tends to be better after she gets a decent rest. Uh, yeah, isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that novel? Yeah, imagine that. You know, it's a tough spot, right, for the new coach because these November friendlies, you don't want to start off your tenure, assuming they name the coach, by saying, all right, Becky and Carly and this one and that one, no, you know, thanks, but, you know, don't come around this time. But but would it yeah. be a bad thing? Let's talk to them, say, hey, listen, you're, you're part of my plans going ahead. You're going to be in January camp. Honestly, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. I think that social media might explode, but you know what? That happens. In a perfect um, world, you're right. Well, yeah. Or you know, another novel thing you could ask them, like, how are you feeling? Yeah, do you want to have a break? Yeah. I, these players, some of them I'm sure are going to say yes. Or yeah. you just you take the, the normal and then draw in just huge group in January camp. But I think at some point, you, you've sooner rather than later, even if you end up taking – and everyone, you know, everyone that goes to the Olympics was also on the World Cup roster. You still have, have got to start expanding that pool. All right, last team that did make the playoffs, Washington, and I feel like we've talked about them a lot uh, due to their rise up. They had a really good draft, it seems like. You know, Hatch is good. I think we've already discussed Lavelle. I think especially Lavelle, because I think Lavelle does things that most other players don't do, but also Pew needs to be healthy. And I think they need a center back and an outside back. I think they did a good job kind of patching together a defense this year, but I think they need some better true defenders. And I think Bledsoe has become now an elite keeper, at least at the league level. Yeah, I would agree, I think, with all of that. I think that if you can get an entire healthy season out of Roosevelt, she could be an MVP. I think she oh, down about the thing that could take them from – middle of the table to compete really truly competing for a playoff spot yes they they were competing up till till what last week um i think they got technically eliminated before that but yeah two yeah, weeks to go they won yeah, two games last year three games or something yeah i mean their 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 rise has been remarkable i think it's is you know keeping that um getting more out of pew she she hasn't been very healthy but even when she's been on the pitch even just her entire individual career, really, so far, I haven't quite seen her take over any games. And if you're a World Cup winner and you're a particular World Cup winning attacker, you should you should do that. And I think she has it in her. And I guess I get I get that she's very young, but she's also a professional and a World Cup winner. And my my expectations are going to be higher. Um, I think 
you said and outside back, I would actually look for both right and left. Um, you know, it's funny. I heard on the. I don't want to be greedy video. about it. Do what? I don't want her to be greedy about it. Well, I'm, I'm, I mean, this is our wish list, right? Okay. <laughs> because you know, it's funny because I heard on the broadcast one of the, the a couple weeks ago in the commentary mentioned that he wanted a defensive midfielder. I'm like, well, you have Tori Huster, who you've decided is an outside back at the latter stages of her career. I thought she's always been perfectly fine as a defensive midfielder. So I would would move her back, or frankly, on the other side, he's when she was healthy. At least Kellen Knight played there as well. And again, something you should be a holding mid. So. Get true outside back. Stop reinventing the wheel. I could probably say that to half the coaches in this league. It's a pet peeve of mine. Um, I agree, but on the Houston, he decided she was an outside back, or do you think he just decided she was the best option they had? I would have said he decided she was the best option until the broadcast said that he needed another defensive midfielder. I was like, well, you got one. Why don't you say I need an outside back? Yeah, I agree. I mean, credit to Houston because she's been there since the start through a lot of downs and some ups, but I probably more downs than ups. She does whatever they ask. She's been all over the place. She's been bad at certain points where she's played, uh, but I agree she's better in the midfield. All right, three, uh, two segments are done. We're going to come back, do a little Q&A, and uh, I guess start uh, getting prepared for the playoffs. This is episode 80 of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the Equalizer podcast. This is episode 80, and we are brought to you in part by Sports Reference. You can go to fbref.com for new and improved women's soccer statistics every day on fbref.com, and it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week. And one of the storylines going into the playoffs is that the Portland Thorns are struggling a little bit Heading in a 0-0 draw against the Spirit to conclude the regular season. And they are the first team in the history of the NWSL playoffs. 28 of them, four of them over seven years. Thorns will be the first team ever to go into the playoffs on two consecutive shutouts, meaning they're the first team ever to not score in their final two regular season games and then go into the postseason. So we'll see if they can turn their fortunes around against the Red Stars, who they usually at least get draws against. Haven't lost of them since June 2013. So that's your sports reference equalizer stat of the week. And make sure to check out uh, the soccer section at sports reference at fbref.com. And we thank sports reference for their continued support of the equalizer podcast throughout this season. Chelsea, let's jump right into the questions. Robert McCann. And, well, you know, we were just talking about this in between segments. Will Sam Kerr stay? In the NWSL, will there be expansion? If so, where and can they sustain? Um, I'm, I'm not going to expansion again. The curse thing kind of seems at this point like she's going, doesn't it? Yeah, my, my gut feeling says she's going to go. All right. Uh, John Forsyth was very active with the uh, questions this week, so we appreciate it, some players won't make the end-of-the-season awards list, but their level of play and dedication to the team makes them great unsung heroes in the league. Which players are these in your eyes? Uh, that's hard to say without seeing the list, but I'm guessing Mitch Purse will not be an MVP finalist, and that'll drum up a lot of attention. Um, jump in anytime you want here. You know, um, Denise O'Sullivan, I think, yep, is someone who good I mean, one. maybe she makes the – Best eleven, but uh, yeah, week in and week out is pretty pretty reliable. 
Um, Danielle Calaprico, I think, has been very, very good when she's been able to play for Chicago. Yeah, I think she had too much time where she was not healthy enough. So I think yeah. overall her season wasn't as good as it could have been, but yeah. a good example. Um, Lauren Barnes, I think, will make the best 11, or it's not the she's second good. 11. Um, but, you know, she's kind of – I actually thought she won Defender of the Year in one of her lesser years. thought she should have won oh, it. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. She didn't – that was not her best year when she won it. Um, all right. I, if we think of anyone else, we'll jump back in with uh, before the end of the segment. Uh, the challenge for the league in years zero to three was lasting longer than three years. In years four to seven, the challenge seemed to be to minimize club foldings. What should the goals for the league be in years eight to ten? This is like the million dollar question. What should the goals be, or what are the goals? Right. I think those goals for years eight to ten should be to start spending more money make yourself more of a big deal and start positioning yourself to really look like what we all think and hope women's soccer can look like. What are the goals? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't think they have any goals. I think they just exist. At, um, you know, well, there are many days that I believe that. Yeah, I think I think I, I kind of agree with you. They should. I think just overall the goal needs to be headed towards more of a professional league, um, and that's getting an actual – legitimate TV deal week in and week out um, for all the games eventually, even if that's, you know, sort of localized depending on where you live. Um, yeah, spending spend more money, expanding rosters, expanding the, the length of the season, getting rid of midweek games because I hate them. Um, I, you know, I, people always – expansion is such a big buzzword. I'm, yes, eventually they need to expand. I'm going to be fine if they don't for another year, maybe two. Um, as long as they're forcing the existing teams to up their standards to to really where they need to be, you know that they're all they're all spending the money to the. I mean, these players need to, they need to be given meals. That shouldn't be something that should be up for debate. They things about like just yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to go back to the sky blue example because I have improved on something, but things like that they they need to be playing and not at colleges anymore. Like in an actual stadium, they. Just just basic stuff, which yep. is so sad in year eight. <laughs> it yeah. It really is. It is. I think they were getting there, and I think they um, we might be in a little bit of a bell curve scenario because I don't know that they've gone as steadily upward as, as we all would have hoped. Final, we, the week of the championship this year will be interesting. Um, Yanez is one game suspension due to Disco, which is disciplinary committee. Given the inconsistency of calls this season, was a week 24 suspension the right call? I don't know if we, what, we, what week 24 has to do with anything. Um, was it the right call? I don't know. I think it could have been a red. I think, well, let's start here. It should not have been. I think when you throw an elbow, you're either off or it's, or you didn't do it. That's my opinion. So I don't think a yellow card was the right call. If it was a red card, she would have been suspended anyway, and I don't think anybody would have said boo about it. Do I think the disciplinary committee should have gone in and added the suspension? Probably not, but I'm also okay with it. Yeah, I I think that they set a standard for if you throw an elbow, you get disciplined, and if that's the standard they want to set out, I just, I'm more happy to see consistency than anything else. Um. Agree about the card or no? 
Yeah, I think, like I said, they, they've called that before. So if that's where they're going to draw the line, then, then yeah, I do. And did you see Brian's daughter's mask that she had on on Saturday night? No. Like I have never seen a more like it looks like she's going full on scuba diving. Like I have never seen a more ostentatious mask to protect the nose. But you know what? Good for her for getting out there. All right. Uh, more from John. Questions. Regular season awards. Well, you got Coach Vlatko, rookie Balser, defender short, keeper Bledsoe, MVP Kerr. Um, I don't know if you've at the end of the process, your award votes. Mine usually come out in the lowdown column in a couple of days, which is the one where I get more criticism than any other column I write all year. I think these are pretty good, though. What about you? I don't know. I haven't, like, finalized my ballot, but that's a pretty good starting point. I think the majority of those will probably end up going on my my, my actual vote, but I haven't quite sorted it all out yet. I still think I like Staub over Balser, even though Balser is the far superior story and she scores a lot. But I still think Staub playing every minute on a spirit defense that, and she couldn't blend in on that defense. She had to be, she had to be pretty good. I, I still yeah, she make leads her. The line. All right. Uh, last one from Rainmaster and some couple of good ones here. Let's start with number two. Could would England bring a Great Britain team to something like she believes, or can they only play as GB at the Olympics? I have no idea what the answer to this question is. Well, it's a friendly, so I think they can, right? I would think they can. The reason that maybe they couldn't or wouldn't is are teams like Scotland and Wales committed to Algarve or Cyprus to the point that England yeah, couldn't post point. their best players. I mean, I think it would... If they can manage to organize some friendlies before the Olympics, I think that would be a great idea uh, because they obviously this is and it, let's be real. It's mostly it's going to be England plus you know Kim Little and, and just Fishlock. Yeah, maybe Fishlock can make it back in time. True. Um, so I mean, yeah, I would say maybe three or four players from that aren't from England, but just to, to kind of mesh that team a little bit more. I think it'd be a great idea. I'd, I'd love to see it, if she believes. If you're England, though, do you want that for the Olympics? Like, imagine if the U.S. hadn't won the World Cup in 16 years, like going into 2015, and all of a sudden they had to be Team North America, and it was the U.S. plus, you know, Christine Sinclair and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, pick any Mexican player. I mean, would, do they want that? Probably not, but that's kind of – they've decided they're going to have it, so you might as well get with the program. And like, if you – Wouldn't you rather – as a player, as an individual player, wouldn't you rather – wouldn't you want Kim Little just Fishlock on your team? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't turn them down. But, I don't know, it's weird. It kind of, like, stunts the growth of the team because they had 23 for the World Cup, and you already have to cut that down to 18. So let's just, for argument's sake, say it's Little and Fishlock and nobody else. Now you've got to take two midfielders who were on the World Cup and say, you know, you're in our plans, but you're not going to the Olympics because we have Fishlock and Little. But as soon as the Olympics are over, they're going to go play for their own team, and you can come back. But what's the alternative? You don't play – you don't go to the Olympics? No, no, yeah, I get why why they do it. You pretend to be Team Gary Britton, and in reality you're actually Team England, which seems like a bit of a slap in the face. I mean, I don't – what are the options? Isn't this one of these things, though, where – the Olympics and FIFA should be on the same page. 
Oh, I think they should definitely just just get over it and come to an agreement, but they haven't. Seem like I mean, I think this is the, the best concession they they're gonna get. Also, what? I mean, if you seen England lately, they're not progressing very much as it is. Maybe they need to shake it up. Is anybody progressing? And that's a serious question. Um, that's a good question. Because <laughs> I mean, I was saying the Netherlands. We, I would say doing pretty well. Yeah. For a lot of the cycle, most people were thinking the U.S. Was, had no chance to win the World Cup, right, this past one? Yeah. And I think I was among the first that said, listen, every other contender. Oh, you were the first, okay. I was among the first. I wasn't <laughs> the first, I was among the first. Every other contender's in transition, and, I'm, you know, I'm still seeing it at this point. Japan, maybe. I, I didn't see that 4 nothing. A result they put on Canada, but you know they're probably trying to get geared up for hosting. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the thing about Japan. Everyone has said to begin with that they almost—I wouldn't say—wrote off their World Cup, but their focus was on the Olympics because they're hosting. I don't—I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily put aside the fact that Japan can pull something something incredible out. They—they they certainly have the skill. They just need to to let it um, marinate a little bit. Well, they play the type of soccer I think that is more. Um, upset friendly than maybe some other teams, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, they're disciplined and they're, you know, I guess this is kind of the same thing, but they're pro- they're not prone to the silly mistake that we see. I mean, they, at the very least, they can keep possession. If you can keep the ball away from the other team, they're not going to be able to do much. Exactly. All right, here's another good one from Rainmaster. How many teams does NWSL need to expand to before a change in the number of playoff teams or the structure of the playoffs. And then I'll, I can add in before they stop being a single table. And this is a good question because I am not in favor of a lot of expanded playoffs, but I do know we see it in MLS. Every time they say we're going to stop adding playoff teams, they keep adding. So what do you think? I think four out of nine already, or when they had four out of ten, by the standards we have across sports is not that many. But I like that it's hard to get in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't want it to be MLS was harder to miss. Um, that's just no fun. Um, let's see. I would say if you get to 12 teams and you still only have four making the playoffs, that's a pretty good ratio. I think that's perfect. And at that point, I also think you could start looking at maybe divisions. You have six and six. Yeah, I think so, too. I don't think you need divisions, but I like divisions because our country is so big. Yeah, I think it's just going to make it easier for everybody. And where do you want to see, like, where do you want this to settle in? Because I think that MLS is expanding to a size that makes it very difficult to follow, hardcore. Like, I don't want 30, I don't want a 30-team NWSL, ever. No, I don't know what the what the end game is. I don't know. It's twenty, maybe. That's that's a really hard thing to say. I mean, where are these teams? Do we are we starting to involve Canada? Um, that's that's a tougher question, I think. Yeah, Canada is it could be a game changer just because. I think some of the rules would be a little bit different if you went up there like they are for. For MLS, and it would be market, you know, every Canadian market would be a market you're not going to in the U.S. But I'd like to get to 16. I mean, maybe that's not maybe forever, but I would just like to be able to have a sustained 
16. And I'd be fine if it were four in the playoffs out of 16, but I don't think that'll happen. I think it would be at least six, if not eight, if we went to 16. Yeah, I think six for a 16-team league would be good. Are you in favor of the two-leg series format? Yes, I love it. So you, you didn't think that it was that ML had a kind of stunted games in MLS because everybody played too conservative? I don't know. I, I don't really pay that much attention to MLS. I watch every playoff game, but I think look at things like Champions League. Um, I don't know. I like it. I think it, it kind of. I don't necessarily care for the away goals goals rule, um, but I like it to like playoffs and then just one final at a neutral location. Yeah, the away goals rule was ridiculous in the league like this because the reason for the away goals rule was to in, encourage scoring, but also the away goals rule was for the Champions League, which is a ran, supposedly a random draw. Would you be in favor of a of a two leg format where the lower seed has to win outright? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What if we gave them extra time? No penalties. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's hard when you start, I, I like, that's a good point about Champions League. I do, I do like home and away in general, but yeah, you start talking about seeding and how do you, do you, you know, reward the team with a higher seed, yeah, I don't know, but then maybe that, that makes it a little bit more difficult. I think you could also get really creative. Maybe you could do, like, like, sort of, like, if you had eight teams in, could you do two groups in some format? Just throwing things out there, seeing what sticks. I don't know. I guess we'll have to get to get more teams to get to that point, like, at least 12. Uh, hopefully. Hopefully this happens. We were at 10. Now we're at 9. We'll see what happens for 2020. All right. Uh, playoffs are on Sunday. It's 1.30 on ESPN2. Starting in North Carolina, they'll host the Rain. Then Chicago will host Portland. Uh, I am assured that there is a plan in place, though I'm not sure what it is. But if the games overlap and there's extra time and PKs, um, you maybe not can't watch them both in their entirety. But uh, the second game will start somewhere on television. So we're not, not going to totally miss that Thorns. Red Stars game. But we'll be back. We'll do some stuff to preview. Lots of great content coming up. The final now is in less than two weeks. So, Chelsea, thanks for hanging out with me yet again on the podcast. And uh, we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to Episode 80 of the Equalizer Podcast. Aaron's makes getting the furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. Great deals. Easy approvals. Free delivery. That's Aaron's. The rent-to-own power of the AA team.